Hello, and welcome to episode 16 of the Movie Marathoners podcast. I'm your host, Monty, and joining me today is my friend, David Melly. He's the host of the Run Your Mouth podcast, and that is a running podcast where a slew of runners talk about all things running related. So give that a go if you're interested in a new running podcast. David, how are you this evening? Uh, I'm doing great. This is a far more professional podcast setup than I'm used to, so I'm feeling very fancy right now. Wow, that's... <laughs> Very flattering. We are in a booth in my lab, so I got lucky. But um, <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah, we have we have like two mics and stuff. It's fine. Although I would also offer, how many of your guests come prepared with typed notes about the movies that they watch? Literally none. So you are yeah. the first person to have like typed out notes. I'm impressed <laughs> about you know a very intellectual artsy movie. So you right. know, got to really dive in. Yeah. So, but before we dive in, um, I'm ex- this is kind of an exciting week for me because this is the first time that I'm going to be able to ask this question and you're going to say yes, because I know you are a huge runner. We have ran together before. So I always ask my guests, David, have you ran a marathon before? <laughs> uh, I actually haven't. Really? Um, <laughs> I signed up for my first marathon this fall. Why has it taken you so long? I mean, I know um, you've done like tons of halves. Though, yeah. Right? And... So I, this has been the year of the half marathon for me. I'm trying to qualify for the Olympic trials in the marathon, which you can do with the half standard. Uh, okay. um, so I was trying to prolong it as long as possible. I was a uh, like mile 3K guy in college. So moving up in distance doesn't necessarily come super naturally to me, but I have come to terms with the fact that I'm probably going to have to run a marathon. So I'll be running CIM in December. So uh, have me back on in 2020 okay. and I'll, I'll say yes to that question. <laughs> okay. So in 2020, then you will officially have said yes. That's good. Yeah. Um, well, good luck with that marathon. Thanks. So this week we'll be running through, as David mentioned, it is the very artsy movie, The Fast and Furious Presents Hobbs and Shaw. So we'll Love warm a good up. subtitle, you know, got to have Fast and Furious Presents in there. Yeah, I mean, it's a marketing scheme for <laughs> sure. And uh, I'm going to say that every single time. So get ready for that. We'll warm up by talking about the, you know, just the Fast and Furious franchise as a whole, and then discuss brief spoiler-free thoughts on the film. In that section, though, we will be spoiling previous films in the franchise, so just be aware of that. And then we'll run into spoiler territory where we can talk freely about the film. And then we'll round out the episode with our point two section where we discuss what else we've been watching. So first, let's read a synopsis of Fast and Furious Presents Hobbs and Shaw. Lawman Luke Hobbs and outcast Deckard Shaw form an unlikely alliance when a cyber-genetically enhanced villain threatens the future of humanity. Yes, this is the series with the cars. Fast and Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw, stars Dwayne Johnson, Jason Statham, Idris Elba, and Vanessa Kirby. It's written by Chris Morgan and Drew Pierce, and it's directed by David Leach. I'm dealing with the future of the planet. I'm the necessary shock to the system. I am human evolutionary change. Superhuman. Who the hell are you? Bad guy. The mission has been compromised. We need help. Our target's name is Brixton. He's a ghost. We're gonna need the best trackers in the business. Luke Hobbs. I'm what you call an ice-cold can of whoop-ass. Career lawman always gets his guy. 
They're going to need to operate outside the system. Deckard Shaw. And what you might call a champagne problem. Rogue former MI6 agent. Doesn't play well with others. If we stand a chance against Brixton, you guys have to work together. No way. This guy's a real ass. So, David, when I first started this podcast, you were almost instantly like, you have to get me on for a Fast and Furious movie. <laughs> Why? Okay. What's, what is it about this series that so, is so good? I, I would say that my interest in film falls into one of two categories and that I am a sucker for like real pretentious Oscar bait and then just like stupid action. <laughs> and oh, and nowhere which, in which one is this? <laughs> uh, Oscar bait, obviously. Yeah. Uh, I do. I do think it's funny that you're very serious about like the spoiler wall for Fast and Furious movies because I will say that it does not. There are reveals in these movies that are good and and entertaining and exciting if you don't know that they're happening. But I will also say that part of the beauty of these movies is that you do not have to know what happened in previous movies. You do not have to know spoilers. You can have movies spoiled for you. They will still be great because the beauty of these movies is that they are just pure, stupid, fun, absurdist action. Yeah. Uh, I think as a <laughs> as a Marvel enthusiast, you can uh, certainly relate to that sort of appeal. I'm going to object a little bit <laughs> to the comparison between Fast and Furious and uh, the MCU, but I do agree that, yeah, in general, they're both popcorny. They're both about superheroes. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so as somebody who's basically, I've never seen a Fast and Furious movie until, you know, like two days before we went to see this movie, I, I said, David, tell me, like, pick one for me to see. I'm not going to watch all of these because I don't want to die. But, <laughs> uh, so you told me to watch Furious 7, I think is yep. the one. So that's the one, not the most recent one, but the one before that when Paul Walker tragically passed away in the middle of production and so yeah that was i think i actually have seen one fast and furious before it was just a while ago so i don't remember anything the only scene i remember from it is like there's a guy and a girl in a car are we sounds, following sounds good so, far. so yeah. far there's a lot of ass so yeah, i don't think so that narrows again, it down could have been anyone but then they're like looking at this rolling uh like freight truck like a giant semi it's like rolling and they have to run under the semi as it's like rolling like they drive the car under it just as it's flipping around oh Do you know uh, what I'm talking about? maybe it was five or no actually i think that was the beginning of four okay. um but they all have sequences along those lines okay <laughs> okay um, so at some point i went to the theaters with my friends when i was a kid and saw that one but other than that yeah furious 7 was my first go is there a reason that you suggested that one as the one for me to see yeah so for so it's the first statham one okay so it is the first movie that had both statham and the rock um sorry dwayne johnson is how he's credited in these movies um <laughs> and i think he's an actor yeah so generally speaking uh the the eight Fast and Furious movies that had been made prior to Hobbs and Shaw can sort of be divided into two halves. Uh, the first four-ish are a little more serious car movies. Like, they, they definitely... The first movie is, like, very much like a movie about drag racing in L.A. and is, introduces a lot of the characters. And then around five, they just fully go into, like, oh, we're going to just completely up the stakes every time law of physics laws of physics do not matter who cares we're just going to do absurd stunts 
mm-hmm. increasingly, you know, more ridiculous as time goes on, which I would argue is when they got really good. Fast okay. and Furious 5 through 8 are my favorite ones. And 7, I think, was better than 8 and sort of was a good introduction to the style of movie that you're getting. Um, well, I will also say that one of the things we're going to talk about later with um, that I think Hobbs and Shaw sort of leaves a little to be desired on is I do actually think that Furious 7 does a pretty good job of marrying good action sequences with a bit of character development and some emotional stakes that maybe are not the like, you know, ticket selling point of going to a Fast and Furious movie. (laughs) But there is there is an element of that that I think grounds you a little bit in terms of pacing and overall story structure um, Mm -hmm. that kind of makes it a, I would say, kind of like a best of both worlds. People say that Fast Five is like the best of like the new ones. Yeah, that's what I've heard. Um, But I did want you to get some Statham. And I did. I do think that this is this is one of the best ones and it and it is a good introduction to what you're getting it's interesting that you wanted me to get some statham because in fast 7 or furious 7 or whatever it's called he you know the opening scene is him just murdering a hospital <laughs> and then he doesn't necessarily do anything in that movie to redeem himself whatsoever and you told me after we saw Hobbs and Shaw's when i asked you to kind of like explain stuff to me that he does get like a semi redemption in Furious 8 or something. Not even um, really. They just switched his side, basically. Is there like, you okay. need to, you're, it, it ends up being like an enemy of my enemy thing where uh, he teams up with the good guys to fight Charlize Theron. Frankly, from a production standpoint, it's that they liked Jason Statham in Furious 7. They wanted him to be <laughs> in the subsequent movies. And so they're like, you know, we're just going to make him a good guy. And one of the things that, again, I tend not to look too critically at sort of like the inner workings of these movies because, again, it genuinely does not matter. Right. Um, but something that the fans, quote unquote, have raised as an issue with that is that at the end of in the post credit scene in Furious 6, he murders one of the main characters. Yeah, okay, so that's where <laughs> yeah. I was going to ask you um, next. And so people were like pretty mad that they kind of just like switched him to the good guy's side without sort of any reckoning about like, oh, you like killed one of our like family, like, uh, you know, one of our yeah. good friends and you're still going to work with you. I I think that that is a valid criti- criticism for sure. But again, <laughs> I... I don't care. So you don't <laughs> like, you don't care about the Jason I think Statham it's called the, is hilarious and fun to watch and a great action star and him being a protagonist is fun. Okay. Um, I also think I do think it's interesting because I think in Furious Seven they I I my personal theory is that he is like a little bit of a like fuck you to James Bond because mm. the role he plays in Furious Seven is very he's a loner um, he drives an Aston Martin. And he is obviously a, like, British ex-Special Forces person. And, like, I think you could see Fast and Furious's response to, like, sort of the James Bond movies being, like, like, fuck this, like, British asshole. Like, we're, like, Americans who, like, love each other and are all about the team and family. And this guy is, like, all about doing things on his own and, like, all about Eve. And I... Again, this is maybe like me diving into the realm of like, you know, fan theories, but I think you could see Jason Statham's character in Furious 7 as the villain as kind of like the Fast and Furious franchise being like, fuck James Bond. That's interesting. I've never 
heard of that before. I mean, granted, I've read like four articles on this entire franchise, and it was <laughs> this afternoon. So, but yeah, I mean, that makes sense to me. Um, what's your favorite of the Fast and Furious non-spinoff movies? I would say either five or seven. Um, five or seven. I will say the. I have a emotional attachment to Seven because it came out the spring of my senior year of high school, of sorry, high school of college. Okay, um, and I I first got super into the Fast and Furious movies because over winter break that year, a bunch of my teammates and I just like watched all of them in like you know like a four day period or something <laughs> yeah. like that, and got really into them. And they're like they're just fun to watch and fun to like embrace, but also make fun of. Um, and then that came out. And then, of course, the weird curveball in Furious 7 is this, like, pretty genuinely sweet, emotional, like, send-off to Paul Walker at the yeah. end. And so the, the song See You Again kind of, like, became associated with, like, the feeling of, like, graduating college and, like, leaving all my friends. And so, like, there's, like, a weird, for a movie that is, like, pure, like, you know, popcorn entertainment, it does have, like, weird emotional hooks into my... Uh, psyche because of when it came out kind of the way that like a couple people a couple years older than us really all love toy story 3 because it came out mm -hmm. like right as they were graduating high school like yeah I, I i think that that like in a strange unique way became associated with like growing up and like leaving things behind uh for me wow yeah i mean i will say that even without any of the previous six movies that final five minutes of that movie is pretty effective uh it's really touching and it's a good tribute so and i think that you know even just putting the like college track team lens on it too like this idea of like oh like you're coming together as a family to like take on like adversity and like go into battle together is like a very like college cross country mentality sure. as these well. guys so are I a little it, more meat heady yeah than but it resonated average. with us in a <laughs> you know in a silly stupid ride or die way um for sure yeah so can you name all the fast and furious movies i'm just curious yeah so there's uh because like the naming yeah whatever you call that the naming uh mechanisms for this are ridiculous so it's convention the first one is the fast and the furious okay the second one is too fast too furious the third one is fast and furious tokyo drift which takes place chronologically after the sixth one very right. confusing um which is also funny because it like theoretically takes place in 2015 but they all have like flip phones um, <laughs> <laughs> and the cars are uh you know of the 2003 ilk yeah um and then there's arguably most confusingly the fourth one, instead of being named The Fast and the Furious, is just named Fast and Furious, right? Um, which I lovingly refer to as Fast and Furious, because okay. the fourth one yeah. is a bad joke. Then Fast Five. No, I think you need to explain that a little bit more. Can you, uh... <laughs> um, just roll right past it. No, okay. no pause for laughter. Um, then Fast Five, and I think it's Furious Six. It's Fast Fu and Furious Six. Fast and Furious Six, Furious Seven. And then Fate of the Furious, which sadly is not stylized as F8 of yeah. the Furious, but it should be. Okay, Robert, what do you think the ninth one is going to be called? Uh, that, that is a next great year, question. Think. Like, uh, I don't even know. Like The Fnine and the Furious. Yeah. The, the uh, Fine Furious. The Fine or, Furious, yeah, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I wonder if they'll like dovetail a little bit more since Fate of the Furious was like more of a, a dovetailing. And it seems like from what... I can tell that they kind of want this like eight, nine, ten to be like a mini trilogy. Okay. Um, and it seems to me my semi uneducated 
perspective that I think that what they want to do is make Charlize Theron this sort of like recurring villain throughout 8, 9, and 10. Okay. Have you seen the post that's like, what if the Harry Potters were named the same way that the Fast and Furious movies? I haven't, but I would love to. (laughs) So the first one would be the Harry and the Potter. (laughs) And then the second one would be two Harry, two Potter. And then the Harry and the Potter Azkaban prisoner. And then Harry and Potter. And then Harry five. (laughs) Harry and Potter six. And then Potter seven. That sounds good to me. (laughs) I think that's pretty funny. I also just, you know, if you want to tell me that they should do a, like, reboot of the Harry Potter franchise, but they're all, like, muscular and, like, drive cars, like, I'm on board. Yeah. That's exactly what the Harry Potter franchise is. Yes, Vin Diesel (laughs) as Harry Potter. (laughs) I am Potter. Okay, so let's get into this specific movie a little bit, which, again, is titled Fast and Furious Presents Hobbs and Shaw. What do you think about that title? Like... Uh, I mean, I think is it all just brand whatever. synergy? It's all it's all stupid. It's gonna make a billion dollars. I mean, one of the things that these movies they're they're explicitly marketed as international appeal movies, and mm-hmm. part of that is that they you know there's the good and the bad of that. There's the fact that they consciously choose a very uh, racially diverse cast that works well together and is you know it's it's arguably one of the biggest. And most, again, not to bring it back to Marvel, but one of the biggest, most racially diverse franchises that's ever existed. Um, And, you know, then on the other side, there's maybe less of an emphasis on writing and dialogue because they are marketing to an audience that does not necessarily speak English. Um, But then they do put their money when their mouth is in uh, stunts and visuals, which, you know. You can quibble with whether or not that is a, you know, <laughs> makes for an excellent movie, but is definitely a money-making machine. Yeah, so sure. let's let's quibble a little. Um, what did you think about this movie? I liked it. Um, okay. It's, you know, the plot, I would not say, holds up to even the remotest scrutiny, but... Um, right. And there's, uh, as I kind of alluded to earlier, I do think where it struggles is sort of having that undergirding of emotional stakes that kind of runs through the movie um as silly as it sounds i do think the better ones of these movies do have a narrative arc that is uh a through line through the you know various action set pieces this one i think was uh, a little more flash and a little less substance Mm -hmm. um the sort of underlying arc of like reckoning with your past mistakes and reconnecting with your family i think um felt a little forced yeah it's it's a bit of a stretch um, even to say that that's yeah yeah, yeah maybe yeah. maybe once we get into spoiler territory we can talk a little bit more about i think some of the gymnastics they did with uh dwayne johnson's character that mm-hmm. were interesting and i i wouldn't say the world's most believable <laughs> to mm-hmm. kind of fit him into the box of what they were trying to do with this movie but that being said it was super fun and there were moments where you know literally I just was like laughing with joy at the like sheer absurdity of it. The the comparison, <laughs> the movie it reminded me most of, and bear with me here, uh, that I've seen recently was Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again. Okay. <laughs> I haven't seen that. So In the sense of it was a like pure fluff sequel that had no interest in being like, 
grounded, original, <laughs> um, you know, substantive or like cohesive in any way. But at the same time was just like, I had the same feeling coming out of both of those movies where I was just like, I was entertained for two hours straight. And like, what else do you want coming out of a movie? Like, you know what? They can't all be calling me by your name. Like, yeah. you know? <laughs> like, okay. So I am going to probably say a lot more negative things about this movie than positive. I will defend its honor. No, no, no. <laughs> but I am still overall positive on the film. Everything you said is completely true. Yeah, there is some just mind-numbingly stupid things in this movie, like decisions that can only be explained as being like a testosterone-filled fury of just stupid machismo decisions or whatever. But yeah, it's just so much fun. And I think the the main two things that I really liked about this movie were the action, it was inventive. It's almost like you said, there's not even any plot or anything. So there's never a time for you to calm down. So you're just always on the entire time. So that's really fun. And then I think that Jason Statham and Dwayne Johnson, their chemistry is really good. And then you've got Idris freaking Elba in this movie for some reason. I don't know why he's in this movie. Criminally underused. Somehow managed to both be in the movie a lot and still be underused, yeah. I thought. And <laughs> like, we, can, we can talk a little bit more about that specifically. But um, And you've also got Vanessa Kirby, and I think those four oh, actors just I love bring, her so much. Yeah, she. I love her. She, have you seen her in The Crown? Uh, I have not. No. I, I was first introduced to her via Mission Impossible Fallout. Oh, okay. And I was like, this, I literally remember thinking, watching that movie, like, this woman is great and is barely in this movie and is going like she's going to have a lead role mm-hmm. coming up and then this movie came out and i was like oh yeah excellent casting on their part yeah, like yeah. she is again we can get into it more later but she is a, a good actress um is so gorgeous like mm-hmm. um and is Belie- believable as a strong female character yeah, and, a, she, and believable as an action hero. She holds her own against Dwayne Johnson and Jason Statham. Which is hilarious because she weighs like, you know, probably like 110 pounds yeah. and like <laughs> is this like, you know, waifish beautiful woman who's like at one point like literally like takes down Dwayne the Rock Johnson and you're like, sure, why not? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the least of the film's like logical sins, but... Um, yeah, I mean, just like the relationship between all of those people is really fun to watch. It's really entertaining. Even if I went in skeptical, I was just like, by the end, I was like, yeah, I had fun. I had a ton of fun for the entire two hours, so I can't knock the film. I would, I was probably going to give this film a higher score than <laughs> you think I am nice. based on the next few things I'm going to say. So I do think that this film is way too long. Yes, um, absolutely. Well, that was one of the things we talked about yeah, coming instantly. out of the movie. Like every... every and it's not just this movie. It's all big budget blockbusters these mm-hmm. days. I am perfectly comfortable making the blanket statement that like every one of these recent movies is like half an hour too long. Right. And it's like because they can get away with it, there's no I think there's just like the studio doesn't pressure them to cut things. Mm-hmm. And so you end up with these like like the most recent James Spectre was like two and a half hours long and just I love James Bond movies and it dragged. All of these movies are too goddamn long. They can be good movies, but like they could be better movies if they were half an hour shorter. And But I think this one is so interesting because it's got four very distinct acts. And I even saw the trailer for this and the fourth act is featured prominently in it. But in the third act, I was like, oh, this is the end of the movie. We're gearing up for the final confrontation between 
those two guys and the super soldier or whatever. And then it just kept going. And I was genuinely caught off guard until I remembered, oh, there's that entire set piece that we still have to do. And it's not that that set piece is bad or anything like that. It just the film as when you're used to three act structures, this fourth act just is and it's long. So that's one thing. The other thing is that because nothing makes sense in this movie, there is no sense of stakes. Oh, absolutely not. You never do. You know that no one's going to die. Yeah. You know that they're going to win in the end. Mm -hmm. Like it's, yeah, you you have to divorce yourself from those expectations. And (laughs) never do you care what the villain's plot is. You don't care that they're the virus that they're concocting makes no sense. You don't care how it works, the implications of it, anything like that. So all of that, it's almost kind of silly to review this film just because like (laughs) when you inherently review this film, you are putting in more thought than I guarantee 80% of the people that worked on this movie put into the story and everything like that. But at the end of the day, I did enjoy myself quite a bit. Yeah. And I would say that that's the lens with which you have to view this film. And and if, you know, I don't really think we're disagreeing at all, but I I think that, you know, in terms of looking at big budget action blockbusters, I think one of the things this film was really successful of is the action sequences were well-constructed. They were easy to follow that within the, you know, fucked up logic of Fast and Furious physics, like Mm -hmm. they were, they made sense. Um, The performances were good for what they were trying to be. (laughs) It was a legitimately funny movie. It got laughs in the audience. I was doing that thing where like, uh, as you know, the listeners can probably tell, like I, I felt like I was like introducing Fast and Furious to Monty. And so I was doing that thing like in the movie theater where I'm like, a little bit half listening for your reaction so I can <laughs> confirm that like Mati was laughing throughout the movie yeah. was enjoying the right parts um, one of the things and, and let me know when you want to transition into spoiler territory this isn't a spoiler per se but I think that one of the interesting more debatable things um, on this movie is the the fine line between maintaining momentum which I think is one of the things that Fast and Furious is really successful at and action fatigue, which it's funny because I came out of this movie not realizing who it was directed by. And one of the things I said to Monty was, this reminded me of Atomic Blonde, mm-hmm. um, which David Leach, who directed this movie, also directed Atomic Blonde. Um, I haven't seen John Wick, so I can't speak to that that movie either. But like for me, I think that this movie bordered on action fatigue, where there was enough yeah. Like I think that a well-constructed action sequence is well-constructed because their built tension is built and then released. There's usually a you know some sort of problem that's being solved, some sort of thing that has to be conquered by whether it's like the team working together or the team doing something that you wouldn't think that they would do or you know there's there's a you know challenge and a resolution and when that happens, it's effective. And for me, the the final fight scene of the movie kind of more devolved into just like these like superhuman people just wailing on each other, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is like to me not a compelling action sequence. No, and it's a fine line between the two. But but I do think like that definitely like that was my big complaint about Atomic Blonde was that drawn out kind of gratuitous third act fight scene in that movie was just like oh my God, this is still going on. That's interesting you say that because I haven't actually seen Atomic Blonde. I own it. I've been meaning to get around (laughs) to seeing it. But um, that's exactly how I feel about the John Wick movies. And he, 
I think like co-directed the first one and then his fellow co-director went on and continued to direct the second and third one. And this third one was almost like miserable for me to watch just because it's that exact thing that you're explaining. It's just action fatigue. There's so much action. There's so much people getting thrown through windows and people punching and doing the same exact combination. It's really cool because you know that Keanu Reeves is a badass and he's actually doing all that stuff. But after a while, I just felt exhausted. And even though this movie is long, um, with the exception of that last uh, scene, I do agree with you that I didn't feel particularly fatigued watching it. And I wonder if that's because of the comedy kind of sprinkled throughout. Yeah. And um, I think I think that helps. I think the Fast and Furious franchise really like rides that line. Mm-hmm. Um, I think another franchise, again, that I've already mentioned that I think rides that line is the Mission Impossible franchise, especially the more recent movies. Oh, and, yeah. And part of it is that if you have a franchise where you're constantly heightening the stakes, you kind of do have to push the line of like, how much can we put like Tom Cruise through the ringer? <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, that guy's um, just going to die eventually. <laughs> but I did feel like I I liked Fallout a lot, but I, I felt that way at the end of Fallout too, where I was kind of like, okay, like this is still going on. <laughs> um, yeah, and funny. I think that it's funny that you mentioned the comedy because I think that part of why I like the James Bond movies so well is because they do, because they're so highly stylized, you get sort of like a, you know, a, a potpourri of like different types of entertainment, whether it's like a, you know, witty dialogue scene or like a, like, you know, legitimate physical comedy scene, which there are in a bunch of James Bond movies or a really good action scene. Like I think mm-hmm. mixing those well together kind of helps you avoid that. And when it just turns into just like shooting and punching, <laughs> that gets a little less compelling and a little more exhausting but yeah it is a fine line and and i think this movie definitely rode that line real hard (laughs) yeah the other line that it very much straddles for me is the stupid cool line and you've got some movies like so i guess on the x-axis is stupid and y the y-axis is awesome and you've got some movies like i think the epitome of stupid cool movie for me is pacific rim I absolutely love that movie. Have you seen it? I haven't seen it. Okay. (laughs) I love that movie, um, but it is objectively dumb. Yeah. Like, if you think about it a little too hard, none of it makes sense. Why are you building robots to fight giant monsters? The only answer to that is because we want to see robots fight giant monsters. And so that's one that's, like, really high in the top right corner of the graph. (laughs) And I think the Fast and Furious movies are very much on that line, and your goal is to you know, stay to the left side as opposed to the the right side. And I think um, I think there's a self-awareness that mm-hmm. comes with that that makes it a lot more palatable. Yes, I definitely. I think a good example of movies that are just stupid and not cool is like the Transformers movies. Yeah. Um, and those uh, are a good example of like if there's there's a little more like sense of self, a little more like camp, a little more like we're laughing at ourselves and like winking at the audience. I think that that that's what keeps you on like the right side of the stupid cool line, I think, as well. It's just kind of being like, okay, this is we know what this is as much as the audience knows what this is. Yeah, or at least the director and the writers do. I, I'm not totally convinced that Vin Diesel knows that this <laughs> Vin is. Diesel takes these movies very seriously. Yeah, and like, I, I was reading up on sort of like the beef between Dwayne Johnson and oh, virtually God. everyone I, else. We can't even get into that. We'll be here forever. Yeah. Um. I just think it's it's hilarious that there's beef between these like yeah. giant dudes. Anyways, um, let's move on to spoilers just really quickly before you do that. Can you summarize your thoughts on this film and then give it a score out of 10? Sure. 
I I think this film was fun. I think it was, you know, worth the ticket price. Definitely. There's think, an IMAX ticket too. Yeah. It's expensive. Um, definitely worth seeing in theaters. I think there's a lot of movies where you're like, oh, you should see this, but like you don't necessarily have to see it in theaters. I think this is one of those movies where it is valuable to see it on a, a big screen. Um, yeah, I think it, I think fun is the 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 shortest summary I can do. It was charming. It was a very charming movie. The characters were all very charming, and and it didn't take itself too seriously, which I also always appreciate. I think grading on a again, you know, how much did I enjoy this movie? Not what is the you know empirical like film quality right. of this movie. <laughs> I would say it was like an eight out of ten. Okay. Um, I I had a really good time. It was good. <laughs> yeah, awesome. And I'm right there with you. I'm gonna give it a seven and a half for all the same reasons. I yeah, this movie is so stupid. Like I can't stress how I actually think it's a little less stupid than Furious Seven. I will say that because in Furious Seven, there's two cars that literally ram into each other oh, yeah. going 80 miles per hour and then it's not just that like they walk away from that completely unscathed it's that jason statham like holds his neck <laughs> to like indicate that he's gotten slight whiplash and the fact that like you acknowledge that there's slight whiplash but not the fact that that would just cause internal bleeding and every it's just that's ridiculous that was a tangent i don't think anything's quite as stupid in this movie but it is still just stupid but because it's stupid it's fun it's exciting again you know yeah. we'll get to spoilers when we get to spoilers i i have a couple stupid things that i want to point out about okay this okay that's that's fair it, just the the head-on collision for no reason blew yeah. my mind in furious seven but uh yeah i said seven and a half the one other thing i want to mention is that this movie outright spoils game of thrones oh in yeah post credit scene so for no reason too just, it's not like there was it's not like it was a runner like yeah. it kind of technically was um we can get to the cameo that causes that spoiler but yeah. like it wasn't necessary no and it was just a fuck you i didn't even i'm like i kind of want to know like what beef they have with like the game of thrones creators that caused them to do that <laughs> but yeah yeah, so I mean that is the very last post-credit scene so you can see this whole movie and then just leave before the final post-credit scene I guess if you want to avoid that. But it's not even one of those things that like if you haven't seen the show it's not going to make sense. He he literally says the last two big reveals of the show. So keep that in mind. Yeah. Bear that in mind. <laughs> Although I think anyone that cares that much about Game of Thrones spoilers has seen the finale at this point, yeah. but you never know. And I, I really doubt that there's any overlap between diehard Game of Thrones fans and people, well, maybe, I don't know. You never I know. know. I, I know. also, my this was also a tangent, but like, I'm a big, like, I'm kind of like an anti-people hating spoilers person, where it's like, you get like, yeah, you shouldn't be like a dick and like ruin the new Star Wars movie the weekend it comes out. But if it's been like six months and you didn't care enough to like consume the thing that you like wanted to consume, like yeah. you should just like suck it up and deal with it that like we live in a society, there's the internet, like people are going to like reveal things. I don't want to use any examples of that. But like I also think that most good art, for lack of a better term, like you should be able to know the spoiler and still enjoy the process. Yeah. Like I would say, like I I've never seen Breaking Bad. Uh, I know what have how Breaking Bad ends, but I am sure that I will at some point in my life like watch Breaking Bad and enjoy it mm -hmm. because it's a good, well made show. And that like I think that people, I think that people overhype like the badness of spoilers. That being said, 
in the like you know 12 hours between like when star wars episode 9 comes out and when i see it if anyone spoils it for me i will fucking murder you so just yeah. keep that in mind <laughs> i mean this could be a conversation all in on of itself because i do disagree with a couple of things that you said um I definitely wish I didn't know the ending to Fight Club when I first saw Fight Club. But anyways, yeah. totally different totally different topic. Um, I always just like to err on the side of caution just yeah. totally, to not be totally an asshole. Totally fair to so. not be an asshole, but like it is, I, I think people who get really worked up about like, oh, no spoilers, no spoilers. It's like, ugh, like yeah, that's on you, buddy. Like, yeah, I mean, and that that is what I, like I make it on myself. So like yeah. when Avengers Endgame came out, I was off of Twitter for a week. Yeah. Just because, like, I knew that it was my job to do that. Okay. Anyways, spoilers starting now for Fast and Furious Presents Hobbs and Shaw. <laughs> That's my secret, Captain. I'm always angry. Yeah. Um, I mean, going back to just stupid things that happened in this Great. movie. Like, Let's do it. <laughs> I, I think my f- absolute favorite sequence of this movie was the car stacking pulling down the helicopter scene yeah i again talking about a well-constructed action action sequence like they had a clear problem that they needed to solve like vanessa carby was in the helicopter and they needed in classic fast and furious form they're like how can we use cars to solve this problem right (laughs) so they literally there's like a sequence which again i i was laughing out loud during this like climactic action sequence but also enjoying the hell out of it where they literally have like a car hooks onto the helicopter while the helicopter is trying to like fly away um, then the helicopter lifts that car off the ground. Then, like, three other cars hook themselves onto that car to keep it on yeah. the ground. At one point, there is, like, one souped-up pickup truck keeping three cars and a helicopter from, yep. like, tumbling <laughs> off the side of a cliff. Like, again, beautiful Fast and Furious. Like, this makes sense in the moment that it's happening, but is, like, so stupid and absurdist. And also should point out that at one point, the chain holding the helicopter comes undone. Yep. And Dwayne The Rock Johnson holds the chain with the helicopter in place with just his arms. Like, yeah. that I, is a thing that happens in this movie. Because, see, I, I, was, I was with it when the car stacked. I was like, yeah, one car stacks, sure. Two car stacks, Whatever, fine. All of that was fine, but I lost it when, like, when Dwayne Johnson had to hold. And again, the part thing. of the thing that makes this so funny and stupid is that, like, this movie is self-aware and knows what it is. But, like, presumably within the logic of the movie, he's not a superhero. No. Like when Captain America holds a helicopter on the ground, he's a superhero. You get that he has like a like. Yeah. In this world, Dwayne the Rock Johnson, Luke Hobbs is just like. A, a person man. who can hold a helicopter down with by holding a chain with his bare hands and not just getting his arm absolutely ripped off. Like, yeah. It, and I mean, I think the funniest thing is, too, is that, I mean, it does harken back to the Captain America scene in, I think it's Civil War. Um, but, like, that scene is supposed to be, like, this holy shit, he's that strong. Yeah. It, it, this is just a regular man. And I think I turned to you right after the movie ended, and I was like, there's no way this isn't executive produced by Dwayne Johnson. Yeah. <laughs> he definitely mandated that scene in this movie. Oh, for sure. And Jason yeah. <laughs> Statham, too. Like, And also, like, Jason Statham, I love both Jason Statham and The Rock, but they are both, like, weird-looking motherfuckers. And, like... <laughs> 
One of the, and Vin Diesel is the same way, where it's like inherent in these movies produced by these guys with these clearly enormous, charming guys, likable guys, I'm sure, but clearly enormous egos is like, oh, we're all under the assumption that like Dwayne Johnson and Jason Statham are the two sexiest men on the planet, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which like, he's like, Dwayne The Rock Johnson is huge, but like, I wouldn't be like, oh, he's like a sexy guy. And like, one of the things I want to talk about later, we're going to be here forever, but like his the weird way in which he is sexualized in his relationship with Vanessa Kirby, which is new for The Rock. Yeah, it is It is ridiculous. The, like, clear just, like, lack of reality in this movie. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's a couple, like, things in that final action sequence that I want to point out, I guess. The first one is that it just becomes day. Oh, just yeah. Just randomly. The sun rises. I was... I, I was trying to think, like, did I miss, like, an a cut or something? Because at some point, maybe my eyes just glazed over for, like, three seconds. But it was dark, and then it was instantly light. I, I they, have no idea. What the hell was that? They, at one point, say, like, oh, like, they're coming at sunrise. So, like, theoretically, they're that. But it literally, well, yes, it's but, pitch dark, and then it's daytime, and then a thunderstorm rolls in, and it's pouring rain, all in the course of, like, ten movie minutes. Yeah, like, but, like... <laughs> Even that, okay, yeah, I can believe that it, it would transition and maybe there's like a time lapse or whatever, but that doesn't make sense because they delay the guns for going off for six minutes or something. Yeah, it, it makes goes no sense. from dark to light within that six minutes. But yeah. I will say the Samoa scenes, beautifully shot. Yeah. Like, <laughs> fair. <laughs> um, and, you know, I think they actually shot in Hawaii and not Samoa, but like one of those things where they didn't necessarily have to have these like beautiful, gratuitous shots of like Samoa. But they did. And they were nice. They were nice to look at. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's better than like a green screen on a set. Yeah. I will also say that. So like in terms of just like stupid things, this is maybe pointing out the obvious. But like so we talked about this off mic before. But like so Jason Statham and Vanessa Kirby are supposed to be relatively the same age. There are flashback scenes of them like playing as children together. He's 21 years older than her. Yep. Also, in learning that, Jason Statham is 52 like goddamn, good for him. He yeah. looks great and is in very good shape for a fifty-two. I mean, his, his hairline leaves a little yeah, bit to but be desired, is, but still, yeah. You know, he's one of those guys that I think is doing. And I will say, like in this movie, it's absurdist, and there's a lot of, I think, you know, sort of clever CGI and stunt work happening. But there's a lot of practical effects in this movie, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of really good, legitimate, just stunt work in this movie that speaks well of. You know, it's not just floating CGI. You know. Like Lucy Liu, uh, like defying gravity fight scenes. They're they're really doing some version of reality on a lot of this stuff. Sure. The other thing I had a question about then was that final fight between Idris Elba. How did did they just figure out that his head was a weak point? Like, is he like a Legend of Zelda? Villain it was very or his boss. whole deal was very unclear. I don't think he was okay. a particularly as much as I like Idris Elba as like an actor. His role in this movie was not one of the strengths of the movie. Yeah, why did you think he took this role? <laughs> like, I think because this is so below I think him. He liked the idea of essentially playing Black Superman. Yeah, yeah. and I'm also sure they're like, we'll pay you twenty million dollars yeah, to yeah, do this role. I like to I like to think that he has is having like a midlife crisis or something yeah. because he's too old to play James but, Bond. So if you haven't seen it, so Jason Sa- uh, Jason Statham, uh, Idris Elba plays this like like biologically engineered cyborg, which 
is very that's a thing again like goes into sort of the weird like this movie can't decide whether it's a superhero movie or not and like mm-hmm. he kind of does play a superhero in the sense that like he has superhuman traits that theoretically have some sort of like quote unquote science behind them but really i think like the <laughs> the only reason they did that is to be like well if there's anyone who's going to be a like compelling foil to jason statham yeah. and the rock they need to like they need to heighten it to some level because no one else in this world is like believable as could remotely take on these two guys who are essentially themselves superheroes. He has this weird, his like whole narrative is like about like calling the weak and like we need to like do like genetic and enha- like yeah. that was one of those things where you're like, okay, <laughs> set aside the plot because this is stupid. They spent too much time on that. And I kid you not, it's probably five minutes. Yeah. But it was just too much. It was, we don't need to know. The thing that I think they were dumb. robbing us of is that I, as I explained to Mati, I am pretty sure that they are doing a multi-movie arc that will come back to the like direct, quote unquote, director of this secret, like Spectre-like agency um, in this movie. is Etion, Etion. Etion or, or whatever yeah. is like uh, voice distorted. Um, and so it's like, rrr, 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 like, Idrisaldo, you have to fight Jason Statham. Like, Good, um, nice. <laughs> uh, and so I think the reveal later is that Charlize Theron is pulling the strings behind this the whole time as she was in Fate of the Furious. I think I would have liked that as a reveal at the end of the movie. But for whatever reason, I think they're saving that for later movies. Yeah, um, I did a little bit of research and found out that the voice is not credited or anything like that. But they wanted to have Keanu Reeves. Interesting. Voice until it kind of like fell through. Hmm. And I don't know if that was, I mean, I don't know how early in the script that was or anything yeah. like that. And maybe that was just David Leach trying to get a favor from John Wick or something like that. But um, I kind of felt like it, they were like, we're not going to pay Charlize Theron whatever we would have to pay her to be in this movie for 30 seconds. <laughs> Although they did do that for Helen Mirren. Okay. So. She was so, I was so hoping she like clearly was on set for one day and filmed all of her scenes and got the hell out of there. Well, yeah, I was I was really hoping she was going to play a role in the climax. Mm-hmm. Um I love I love action movie Helen Mirren. Have you ever seen any of the Red movies with Bruce Willis? I haven't, no. So she's like a essentially plays like a secret agent in those movies and is playing like basically a similar role in this. So I was hoping that she would like kick ass at the end of the movie and she doesn't ever um i'm sure they're again saving that for a later movie um i do think it's funny that jason statham established the level of the type and level of english accent that had to happen so both vanessa kirby and helen mirren who have as i understand it like relatively refined english accents had to like speak in cockney accents the whole movie (laughs) and it was like it wasn't really distracting like uh they are competent actresses and did a good job at it but i do think it's funny that they're like you're like there's like that weird level of attention to detail when they're like so much else is just like totally brushed over like speaking of the shaw family What's up with Owen Shaw just being completely cut out of flashbacks, mentions? They just don't feel like... He was, like, in the background of, I think, one flashback, but I think they're like, it would be too much to include him in this narrative, and we've moved past him in the franchise. So do you think he ever comes back? Because my understanding is he is alive, right? 
do you think they bring I, him back? He's for like a alive in a coma. Or... I like. I highly doubt it. I think that they, they are bigger. They can. The fact that they can now bring in someone like Idris Elba into this movie, they're not like we need to get Luke Evans back. Like <laughs> I like that guy though. Poor guy. I will say one of the things I I glazed over is that one of the things I wanted to talk about was um, Vanessa Kirby and what we thought of the way that this movie and the Fast and Furious movies portray women. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. One of the like biggest losses of the Fast and Furious movie is that Gal Gadot was in four, five, and six, and dies in six. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, she is now too famous to like really just randomly come back to these movies. But she was, I think, one of the better female characters. Whereas in You Saw Fury Seven, like Jordana Brewster is a very like weak archetype of the like damsel in distress mm-hmm. in like all of the later movies. And, like, the men are constantly rescuing her, and she's not really have a lot of agency on her own. I'm not a particular fan of Michelle Rodriguez either. I don't um, think she's—she's she's better. She's not super compelling. She also gets the did weird— Did she lose her memory Yeah, or she, like, has okay. weird amnesia, and so that, like, creates, like, a weird kind of, like, strange dynamic between uh, her and Vin Diesel. In this movie, though, I think, I think Vanessa Kirby— they clearly wanted to establish her as holding her own and having a lot of agency. Mm-hmm. Put effort into that. I think we're largely successful. Where I think they weren't as successful is I think that she and The Rock had no chemistry. Yeah. It was so forced that they were romantically involved. And I think that the early on fight scene where like she and The Rock are fighting kind of, but he's not really trying kind of, I think was to establish her as like, oh, she's his equal, but it's just so, even in this world, unbelievable that like she could hold her own against The Rock in a fist fight. Yeah. (laughs) Although she does, I don't know, again, not to always bring this back to Marvel, but every woman action star since Scarlett Johansson now does the Black Widow, like, use your le- thighs as a weapon thing the, like, in movies. The, <laughs> I don't even know what that's called, but they kind of, like, like, spider yeah, monkey the person. Yeah, onto and... the he- person's neck and, like, flip them over with your legs. Yeah, it looks cool. <laughs> it's, it, but it's in so many movies now. Yeah. It's, like, such a cliche at this point. And she does that to The Rock in this movie. Yeah. What do you think about the idea of having her inject herself with the virus and then that being kind of like the that was that's kind of like the the cyborg thing i'm like this is a dumb i hate (laughs) that plot device i hate any type of plot device where it's like you have x amount of hours until this happens because whenever that happens i completely get distracted by the logics of how do you time that nothing ever is exactly 36 hours. Like, that's not how drug capsules work. They would dissolve slowly. There's no way they can travel to three or four different places, including all the way across the world to Samoa in that amount of time frame. And it just creates artificial tension. It just completely takes me out of the movie. I hate I would, that I would actually one-up that and say that my least favorite third-act plot device is the countdown clock slash loading yes, bar. Yes, yes. Um, Ever since James Bond and Goldfinger stopped the countdown clock at 007 seconds, like that in 1964 should have been the last time that we did that in a movie. (laughs) And again, it's in lots of movies. It's not just in these Um, movies. Yeah, it's in Force Awakens. It's my biggest problem in Force Awakens. I hate it. And even like that, like at least there's a little more art to like, oh, when the sun goes away. But like literally so many action movies these days have a physical countdown or Mm a 99% uploaded or a, you know... 30% extracted, 30 yeah. seconds left. Like, 
it's so it's such a artificial way to heighten tension. Yeah, to be and like, it doesn't work. 29, 28, 27. You're like, this is like, there are better ways to do this than just literally sticking some way a countdown clock into your movie. I mean, like my least favorite thing is that like, so in, uh, I'll just use The Force Awakens because that's the one I always think about. They say there's eight minutes until sunset and somehow they get all the, it's like they're looking at a whatever a compound that they have to get to and the next scene is them walking into the compound but the distance to get to that compound is easily half a mile boom there's four minutes right there like unless you're sprinting so that just you could even point out the original star wars has a countdown clock in the third act you're right um i think it gets away with it more artfully Mm -hmm. um but you know that that is a long you know now that we are now 40 years past that like Let's let's get more a little more original with our yeah. tension building devices. So that was that was a huge problem for me yeah. with this movie. But again, yeah, it's like whatever. This movie's so stupid, anyways. It doesn't matter. So I will. So I also say that oh, overall, I think Vanessa Kirby was a good, strong female character. Yeah, um, agreed. I think if we're talking about character things, I think what they did with Luke Hobbs's character in this was so strange and forced because again they were trying to wedge in this like narrative of abandoning your family but then going back to your family as like the character arc but like his whole brand like leading up both in the fast and furious movies and then also just larger in life is like he's this like good guy like mr family man like Mm -hmm. cares about his daughter so much it's so unrealistic that this guy that like loves being the single dad to like his daughter would have would maintain such a bad relationship with the rest of his family. Also, apropos of nothing, but like they clearly were not intending for him to be Samoan when they first wrote this character. So his name is Luke Hobbs. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. he comes and like literally in uh like Dwayne Johnson is named Dwayne Johnson because he's half Canadian. In this movie, he is fully like Samoan. Like, yeah. <laughs> and so they don't at any point explain that like and like the other characters it's not like he like changed his name to like american when he came to the united states his like samoan extended family all has the last name hobbs for reasons passing understanding (laughs) yeah i didn't even think about that that's funny i dwayne johnson is definitely one of those actors that can get away with being as uh ethnic as he wants to be in like any given situation there's a movie i'll talk about in the point two section two that has oscar isaac in it and he's the same way like oscar isaac can be completely white or he can be Hispanic and it's like whatever they decide to make him so which in Hollywood like if you're Hispanic like you can also be Middle Eastern and right. you can yeah. also be Greek and <laughs> yeah. um yeah that uh I, he's so char- like I will say one thing I do think that they there were several scenes in this movie that were just straight comedy banter scenes yeah some of them worked well some of them it felt a little bit like a like Will Ferrell, John C. Riley like joke off, mm-hmm. um, especially when they were on the plane and it was just like three full minutes of them just like whispering insults at each other. <laughs> I was like, are we still doing this? I like, found I found it interesting that they were just unapologetically broy jokes too, yeah. like. All Let me like, compare my dick size, size, yeah, size and, of my balls. I'm gonna fuck your sister. Yeah, like, it's just like you're short. Like, yeah. <laughs> and I think that it's interesting. Again, this uh, we're gonna be here for hours, but like this movie, this movie and the Fast and Furious movies have an interesting relationship with masculinity mm-hmm. because they are so they are so testosterone fueled and so like hyper masculine in one sense, 
but at the same sense, they're not, and they and they objectify women for for sure, especially in the Fast and Furious movies. But they're not necessarily misogynistic in a way, and they and the movies value women. They consider women to be equal partners in most of the relationships they're in. Yeah. I would also say that one of the the whole family through line, like one of the foundational principles of the Fast and Furious movies and this movie specifically is that part of being a man is like caring for your family, owning up to your mistakes, like maintaining emotional bonds, which is like, again, like inherent in these movies, but actually pretty out of character for like an action star to be like, you know, there's like Liam Neeson being like, I'm going to kill you because you like kidnapped my daughter, but then not the like beautiful emotional resolution of like him coming to terms with his like brother, which was in this movie, Dwayne The Rock Johnson and his brother have like a like legitimate, serious, deadpan, like emotional resolution scene, mm-hmm. which you're like, that, that's a, that was a choice you made, which is <laughs> not in every uh, action movie. And that's an yeah. interesting commentary on like what it means to be a man as much as this movie is like in other ways like hugely archetypal and it's like you know right portrayal of masculinity yeah and there's also like very few action franchises that'll be end with a barbecue or whatever i don't think this one does it but that ends with the the whole family being together and like and then again that you don't do things for self-aggrandizement that you do them for Mm -hmm. your people and then personal relationships are the currency that they trade in you know there was a line at the very end when they were defeating idris elba's character where he said something along the lines of you may have all this technology but we have family yeah. remember what the, what <laughs> the, the hell was that that was a bad i will say that was what i was missing from this movie is some good like vin diesel cornball one-liners yeah. like i don't got friends i got family it didn't have as it had funny moments. It had like openly comedic moments, but it didn't have as much of the like full bra- machismo bravado moments yeah. <laughs> that are just like so fun to parody. Can we talk a little bit about? So there were two big comedy cameos in this okay. movie. Yeah, let's yeah let's talk about that. I loved Ryan Reynolds, and I thought he was, and maybe this just speaks to my personal taste. But I thought Ryan Reynolds was hilarious, and I thought Kevin Hart was like, why are you in this movie? (laughs) I agree. I thought Kevin Hart was not funny. Ryan Reynolds was hilarious. I think that if you're not on the Ryan Reynolds bandwagon, that thing or that his shtick will be unbearable in this. Yes. Because it is completely him being Ryan Reynolds, Deadpool, Detective Pikachu, just forced, shoved into this movie. It has nothing to do with anything. It's hilarious. But if you're not a Ryan Reynolds fan and that's not your type of humor, then it it will not work at all. Yeah. <laughs> but, One thing that's interesting about him, and, and this could be a Deadpool, you know, sidetrack too, but like he has a super high voice. And like mm-hmm. I, part of his comedic delivery is that he really like consciously leans into like kind of playing with the volume of his voice mm-hmm. and like especially compared to like Jason Statham and The Rock who are like constantly doing like low growls <laughs> like it's and, and they make a joke about it in it but yeah he that's an interesting part of his sensibility too is that like going back to the whole like masculinity thing like he's this like very like hunky like stereotypically handsome guy who like kind of one of 
his like self-deprecating jokes is that he kind of like will deliberately like e- emphasize the fact that he has like a relatively like high-pitched voice. Yeah, he's funny. I I really like him, and I thought he was great in this. And he he did that thing where it just goes on a little too long, yeah. and that's like a very much comedy sensibility of 2018 or 2019 whatever year it is of like um, let's do the rule of threes and then let's do like one more yeah, and then yeah. like one more after that which i mean yeah. i guess is just this movie because there's four acts but yeah um yeah is there anything else you want to talk about i'm trying to i'm looking uh helicopter scene was great i'm now consulting my notes uh, okay <laughs> um one of the interesting and, and this is probably just an aside but I think it's so interesting that like one of the recurring themes that really came out in this movie was like the tension between technology and like raw grit or whatever. And like okay, that's we're getting philosophical. Like, here. Well, and like speaking a trope that has was done in other Fast and Furious movies and also is done in a lot of other movies is like, well, let's fight them on our turf. Like that being the third act transition. And like, that's why they go to Samoa is like, we need to fight them where they don't have the technological advantage. But I do think it's so funny that like for that to be their position to be like, oh, we're old school with our souped up cars. (laughs) Like (laughs) it's, they're like weirdly like anti like cybernetic cyber technology and are as a running theme throughout the franchise. But then at the same time, like they're like, Oh, like heavily modified race cars. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) none of of that tracks (laughs) in any possible way. That's why I think that Vin Diesel line of you have technology, we have family is just so out of nowhere and stupid. It yeah. doesn't make any sense. I also think it's kind of bizarre that he brings the fight to his family. I've always thought that's weird. Like, I would be pretty Like, I'm going to put my whole community at risk. Yeah, yeah. They could easily just get slaughtered Yeah, if they screw up or something. And then that's on Dwayne Johnson. And that's not even a reflection. I mean, that's just, again, we're thinking about this more than anybody else is thinking about yeah. it. So. And they will. So I will say, like, one of the weird things about these movies, which I think happens in a lot of movies, is that they're it's PG thirteen, so they don't show a lot of for a very violent movie. They don't show a lot of blood. They don't show a lot of people dying. They make a really good use of their one fuck. Oh yeah, Um, that was great. That was great. uh, That was they like both say, "Are you fucking kidding me?" Uh, And pretty early on in the movie too, I was like, "Oh, you didn't save your fuck. You used it like twenty minutes in." Yeah. (laughs) Um, But yeah, uh, it's interesting how that kind of plays a role. um, Where like also like part of the fourth act is that like they fall like thirty feet in a like a helicopter gets blown out of the sky and the two people in it. Don't like don't even have concussions. <laughs> yeah, and it's not even just not a scrape Elba, it's the random pilot yeah. dude. <laughs> well, no, and Vanessa Kirby too. Oh yeah, oh, there's yeah. three of them. Yeah. yeah. So like that again, Fast and Furious trope. No one no one dies. No one gets visible injuries despite getting thrown off of cliffs. Which I think is always funny because as a runner, I'm sure you know you trip on yeah. a trail you and you so just scraped you up. just yeah. scraped up everywhere um, and i and i imagine they had to like have a conversation because there was she looks pretty beat up in one of the early sequences yeah um she and i and like part of like i wondered like there had to be a conversation because that's a david leach thing is like he likes making his actors look really physically like beat up mm-hmm. and like i wonder if there was a conversation where they're basically like 
hey, The no. Rock, we're going to put all these like scrapes on you. He's like, no, no, I'm you're not, not doing that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I did read some tweets that were saying that there's a lot of a lot of the action stars have stipulations in their contracts that say how beat up they can get interesting in films and stuff like that so this was in reference to i think jason statham who had to say you can't beat me up this much or well something it's funny because like, that, like so. the two, two of the people that i think of who do that a lot are Char- charlize theron um and angelina jolie who are both mm. action stars but are women and like they they love like a like action movie where they are like beat to hell by the end and i wonder what you know that yeah. says something about men in movies as well i think uh keanu reeves is also i mean he's he's a man but um, yeah. <laughs> he also does a very good job at letting himself get just the shit beat out of him yeah. and to an extent tom cruise too um yeah although and, he's kind of always like maintains the like good looking like i don't yeah. i can't picture like tom cruise having a black eye in movies like yeah yeah, yeah that's true yeah yeah the one thing i will add is that my other favorite scene was the road chase through london was great and the okay. uh double drift underneath the two uh 18 wheelers followed by yeah idris elba drifting his motorcycle and his body underneath the same 18 wheelers great scene That's that was nuts say. and then also <laughs> dwayne johnson holding like grabbing a guy off a motorcycle and holding him in midair and smashing him into a pillar. There's so many scenes like that in the movie. Yeah, like we could that... be here for another 20 minutes just being like, and it was cool when he did this thing, and yeah. it was cool when he did that thing, but just like go see the movie. Yeah, like... that, that was definitely the, yeah, that's just the summary of the movie right yeah. there. Is this cool thing happened, and then there was some stupid bullshit, and then this cool thing happened, yeah. and but it's all worth it. So, okay, let's move on to the, our point two section where we talk about some of the other stuff that we've been watching. So, David, what have you been watching lately? Um, totally changing tracks, but I'm I'm a little bit behind the ball because I know that this was big like six months ago. But um, I've been watching that Netflix series, Sex Education, oh, okay. with Jillian uh, Anderson. I've noticed you're pretending to masturbate, and I was wondering if you wanted to talk about it. I wish my mom was a sex guru. So, why don't you start by telling me your earliest memory of your scrotum? Trust me, you don't. No, I love you so bad. This is a new frontier, my sexually repressed friend. Our chance to finally move up the social food chain. I love you so bad. I'm worried about you, man. Everybody's either thinking about shagging, about to shag, or actually shagging. really good it's like uh like funny dark um weirdly she looks exactly like emma thompson in it i literally thought that it was like em- that it was emma thompson for the first like half of a first episode and then i realized it wasn't but um no it's a it's a great series um it's very uh just like candid about like being a teenager and like the performances are all relatively it's this very british show um if you've seen like the other like fairly similar Netflix series if you've seen End of the Fucking World it's very similar to that oh good yeah I like if, that if you show like that you like this um, it's good uh, it's like a eight episode series season and I'm like four episodes in so. and they're like 30 minutes each or something uh, I think they're closer to an hour I think they're like 45 minute episodes oh really um, okay but yeah they're, it's good it's uh, basically it the main character's mother played by Jillian Anderson is a uh, sex and relationship therapist and he then sort of becomes a sexual sex and relationship therapist for his high school 
Have you ever um, seen um, what's the movie Charlie Bartlett? I've not. It's not with Anton it, Yelchin. Yeah. Um, it reminds me of that. He like he basically becomes like a psychiatrist for his school. Um, anyways, it seems yeah. seems similar to that. But yeah, I heard a lot of good things about this show. I was just hesitant always with Netflix shows. I'm always scared for two reasons. One, that it's just going to get canceled. And then also, I feel like if you look anywhere online, there will be somebody that says this show is great, you know? Yeah. Like regardless of what the show is. So I had to wait for somebody in my real life to be like, yeah, yeah, you should. You should yeah. Check that out. And I so. think there's so many of them that are kind of, I, I do think there's something nice about like, like, I think this was renewed for a second season. But, like, I th- I think one of the good things about, like, some of these, like, limited-ish series that have come out is, like, I could watch a season of it, love it, and then just, like, fully move on with my life. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, um, I mean, when it's when it's created that yeah. way, I think that's great. Um, it's very, I will say, it's, like, I wouldn't say it's, like, a super, like, it's definitely, like, a little bit of, like, a woke show in that, like, it, by virtue of him being, like, a sex and relationship therapist, he deals with, like, a lot of... Like, it's not like a show where it's, like, after school special, like, let's tackle this issue. But, like, there's, like, like very frank discussions of, like, LGBTQ relationships and, like, uh, non-standard sex relationships. Um, being a British show and being enlightened, there's, like, a lot of nudity, both male and female. There's, like, straight up a dick in the first episode. Like, <laughs> you don't see that too often in, like, mainstream television. Yeah. Um, so, Yeah. It's good. I highly recommend it. Um, could not be more different than uh, Hobbs and Shaw, but yeah. uh, <laughs> if you made it this far. Fast and Furious presents Hobbs Fast and, and Furious presents Hobbs yeah. and Shaw. Cool. Um, so I've been trying to, I mean, I've seen a whole bunch of movies lately just because I was on vacation for a while. So I'm trying to bring a whole bunch of them up. Um, one of them that I saw that my dad recommended to me and then also my roommate Jake recommended to me was Life Itself. Hmm. Have you heard of that movie? I've heard of it. I haven't seen it. Yeah. So it's an Amazon Prime movie or I mean, it's on Amazon Prime. I think it's an Amazon Studios movie. And it's by Dan Fogelman, Mm -hmm. who is the creator of This Is Us, which is that NBC show that... Tearjerker. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I have never actually seen that show, but I'm assuming this is virtually a film version of that. Um, It kind of tells the story cross-generational of different families and how they kind of relate to each other. And uh, it's kind of broken up into these four acts or structures or whatever um, that focus on different people. And then it kind of builds together. And the film is interesting. Well, it's interesting for a couple of reasons. The first one is that on Rotten Tomatoes, the critic score is 14%. Okay. And the audience score, let me check it. Yeah, it's 83%. Interesting. That's a massive divide. And I mean, I know... It's like a reverse Last Jedi. (laughs) Yeah, I think... (laughs) Which I loved, by the way. (laughs) Interesting. Um, And I think that that's... Those type of movies are really interesting and trying to figure out why that's the case. Like, what did the audience respond to that critics didn't? And I think the thing is, is that this movie is very manufactured to make you feel. So it tells you exactly how you're supposed to feel at all times. It makes you sad so that it can make you happy again. It makes you happy so it can make you sad. All the characters are kind of one note in the sense that they are created and given to you in order to be emotional plot beats. So you don't really know them too well because there's so many of them. They don't really, you don't really sit with them for too long. It's kind of just like, this is Oscar Isaac. He's mentally unstable because his wife left him. 
feel sad. There you go. And yeah. like, um, tee it up. <laughs> yeah. So it's very manipulative. It, it to me, it feels like like a really really sweet gumdrop or something yeah. like that. Um, but I will say that if you kind of let the film work its magic on you, it is really sweet. It's got a great message at the end. It there's also narration over the entire thing that explicitly tells you the theme of the movie. So yeah. it's, it's one of those movies. I mean... Well, I think that's probably why the audience scores so right. high, because you don't stumble across a movie like... like You're like, oh, I want to cry. I'm going to put on this... It's yeah. like Lifetime movies, how yeah. like there was a huge spike in like Lifetime viewership after like the 2016 election, because people are just like, <laughs> I need like comfort. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and I will say that the the writing is better than a Lifetime movie. The acting, by nature of having Oscar Isaac in it, and then other people like Antonio Banderas, Olivia Wilde, it's better than that. It's it's competently made. It's not particularly novel or anything like that, but it's fun and it's on Amazon Prime, so it's not going to cost you anything because everybody has Amazon Prime. I'm assuming, unless you're not in the states, but um, <laughs> you're like a good like anti-capitalist. <laughs> true. Yeah. Fair. But yeah, I mean, you can see the strings if, especially if you've seen a lot of movies, you can definitely yeah, see the strings. You're like, I know what's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, it was charming, and I would never knock it. I didn't love it like I think my dad did or anything like that. But, yeah. I will say um, movie. this 0.2 is going to turn into like an 0.5. But an I, I, speaking of just satisfying movies, I watched, rewatched like the first hour of Notting Hill the other day. I've been meaning to see that. I haven't oh, seen, you've it. Never seen it. Oh, you never seen it? No. Um, it's on some sort of something because it was on my on-demand. Um, okay. I don't know if it's HBO or whatever. I would say... An addendum to my earlier statement, my third category of movies that I just love are like romantic comedies. Yeah. Um, and God, that movie is charming and just holds up. It's the best Hugh Grant romantic comedy, I think. Yeah, I realized um, I had this like glaring hole of romantic comedies. Like I haven't seen, basically I saw Yesterday, which is written by oh, yeah, Richard yeah. Curtis. And then I was like, who's Richard Curtis? Everybody talks about Richard Curtis. And he wrote a whole bunch of movies I had never seen that are really famous. So I've never seen Four Weddings and a Funeral, Notting Hill, Bridget. Jones's Bridget diary. Jones's diary. See, those are that. that's like me, me and my mom movies. So yeah. like, I, I a lot of those I have like loved since childhood. Okay. Like, I will say the the one my probably like my favorite rom com that you might not put at the top of your list, but should is uh, my best friend's wedding with Julia Roberts and Rupert okay. Everett and Dermot McRoney. Mulroney. Okay. Um, that's just a great one. Okay. Uh, yeah. I, like I'm going to try and like catch up to all of those. Yeah. It's it's a tall order, but cool. um, yeah, that's all I got. All right. So this has been our review of Fast and Furious Presents Hobbs and Shaw. David, thank you so much for joining me this week. I think this was awesome. Yeah, um, we, I feel like we are both looking at the time being like we should stop but could talk for another hour. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, thank you for introducing this franchise to me. I can't say that I'm going to go and watch every single one of them, but... You don't have to. But yeah. like if you, come, if you encounter one, like you will watch and enjoy it. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I mean, hopefully sometime you can... Join me again. Uh, you're always welcome back. I want to come back for Rise of Skywalker. I don't know if anyone has dibsed it yet. But, oh, yeah. Uh, let's, uh, let's. And it that. will be after CIM, so I can say that I have run a marathon. True. <laughs> um, is there anything you want to plug? Uh, listen to Run Your Mouth. If you like, we've talked about mo movies are not the central conceit of the podcast, which is primarily asking runners about random ass things. But movies come up from time to time. So if you'd like, just couple of dudes bantering or a dude and a couple of girls bantering um that's the podcast for you just 
Good, clean fun. <laughs> All right, awesome. Not and always I'll, clean, but always fun. <laughs> I'll provide a link in the show notes. The intro music for this episode is a piece called Work by Kevin McLeod, and you can find more of his work at incompetech.com. If you'd like to keep up with this podcast and find out when we release new episodes, you can follow us on Twitter at MovieMarapod or on Facebook at facebook.com slash MovieMarapod. That's Movie, M-A-R-A, pod. And you can always reach out to us at our email, MovieMarathonersPod at gmail.com. You can find more episodes of this podcast on Podbean. That's at MovieMarathoners.Podbean.com. And we are also, of course, on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, and Spotify. So please subscribe and write a review if you like what we're doing. And any feedback you have to help improve the podcast is always appreciated. So thank you all for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next time when we run through what is going to be TBD. Um, (laughs) Insert pause here, and then you can just put it in in post. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to because I'm not sure what next is, but... uh, We've we kind of reached the end of the summer, so I'm not totally sure what we're gonna do next. There's nothing, no huge release until it chapter two. So um, gear up for uh, Oscar season. Yeah, you should watch um, that uh, the Lena Waithe movie that's coming out. Which one's that? The the one we saw the preview for Queen oh, and Slim. The, yeah. yeah, Queen and Slim. That does look pretty. I will good. say uh, we keep wrapping up and then not wrapping up, but uh, <laughs> uh, all of almost all of the trailers we saw were original properties, which yeah. was a pleasant surprise for a big franchise movie. Even though one of them was Christopher Nolan's movie, which comes out in eleven months. <laughs> so um, he's yeah. filmed the thirty seconds of the trailer, and that's it. Yep. <laughs> but uh, I'll. I'll see which guests I can wrangle in and try and get something out in the next couple weeks. So until then, stay tuned. Bye. Hello, everyone. My name is Matt Neglia, and I am the host of the Next Best Picture podcast, part of the Film Entertainment Awards website, nextbestpicture.com. On our show, we explore all year long what is possibly going to win Best Picture at the Oscars. We do this by conducting interviews with people within the film industry, holding weekly reviews of the latest theatrical releases, and on our main show, where we dive into various different topics, answer your fan questions, and also do our best to explore Oscar history's past in hopes that it will tell us something new for this upcoming award season race. We hope that you will join us on all the various podcasting networks. We look forward to seeing you over at nextbestpicture.com.